Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. I actually have notes today, Sona, <laughs> for this episode. <laughs> Red Letter Day. <laughs> for today's uh, episode, we will be discussing Pasticio, the latest episode, fifth episode, I believe, of The Patient on Hulu. Also, we will be discussing <laughs> Do Revenge from Netflix, a very which had a very popular launch last week. And everybody I know pretty much has seen this film. I honestly selected this because I thought it was going to be a thriller. I've been trying to cover mostly thrillers here. A comedic one, but a thriller nonetheless, based on some descriptions. And really, spoiler alert, not a thriller at all. (laughs) So uh, I will have some high school comedy slash horror slash thriller recommendations to fill that out since I kind of promised that and didn't get it to you. So I'll have some of those. And I think in the middle of the episode, Sona, I wanted to get your reaction to the Adnan Syed release, this kind of, not exoneration, but the vacation. Vacator, yeah. Of his sentence. Probably, I mean, this is, a you know, obviously incredibly famous. The serial podcast really made podcasting into a (laughs) pop (laughs) event. Incredibly famous, yet I am probably the one person who knows nothing about this. (laughs) (laughs) And yet we have a whole... Uh, multiple seasons of like parodying it on Only Murders in the Building, and you basically don't know <laughs> the original reference point to it at all. <laughs> you don't even Turn know what they're satirizing. Qualified. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I actually wanted to ask you the question because I think this kind of intersects with your actual career and uh, your expertise. So I was curious to get your read on not a hot take I have, but just a take I have, which I found kind of troubling when I thought about this yesterday. That'll be in the middle of the episode. So Stay tuned. Check the show notes if you want to jump around, if you want to hear just that, or if you want to just hear our review of Do Revenge, because we will be jumping around. And those are kind of very different topics, I would assume. (laughs) (laughs) And also a reminder that we continue to cover House of the Dragon, which they just announced that the average viewership for that show through the first five episodes is 29 million, which is a very large number. Uh, It actually is basically where Game of Thrones series performed probably towards the end of its run, maybe not that final season, which was such a huge season, obviously, but it's been very successful and I'm very much enjoying it. I know there are some detractors for it, but I think the audience in general is a big fan and I have actually been a big fan of it. And our friend Olivia Cook from Thoroughbreds from last week, was it now or two weeks ago, mm-hmm. joins the cast this week. So anybody who hasn't caught up, I do recommend that show and stay tuned, subscribe. So, you know, when those episodes become available. We'll be covering that for the rest of the season. And here in this feed um, or this set of episodes, we will continue to cover the patient. I do think it will be a little more substantial as we go forward, my guess here. But also we'll be reviewing a slate of thrillers and horror movies that are coming in the next few weeks leading up to Halloween. And I have a recommendation for you that I think we will be covering here on the podcast. So I think you may enjoy it. It is speaking of high school themed thrillers. There was a book I read last year. It's actually being made into a miniseries for Hulu called The Final Girl Support Group, which was hmm. about these um, like a, like girls who survived serial killers. And basically all those, you know, like the, <laughs> okay. the, and, and basically like there's an actual Michael Myers in the real world. Texas Chainsaw Massacre actually happened. And these are the girls who survived those. And they have like a support group with each other. And then someone starts to go and kill them off. And then we're trying to figure that out. That sounds amazing. Yes. And I read the book. It was a bestseller last year. And it's being made into a show for Hulu. Charlize Theron is the producer of that show. 
it's still in development, so I probably will have to wait till next year to see it. But like you said, I do think it'll be a lot of fun when it gets made. I re very much like the book. I didn't like the resolution because I figured out the killer in the first like five minutes of the book. Mm, you always do. <laughs> so I do hope they fix that because I think it's not that hidden. And I do hope that they fix that for the series. It would be fun to have a different solution to that mystery, especially if you've read the book. But I do recommend that book and uh, that's coming up. But the same author wrote a comedy horror novel which i have not read called my best friend's exorcism and it's kind of like a set in high school heathers like story where one of the popular girls in school gets possessed by a demon <laughs> and that movie my best friend's exorcism is coming to amazon prime next week so maybe that is something we will cover next week mm. and we'll see if that's up your alley i know you don't like horror that much but it is comedy so maybe comedy horror might be up your alley maybe listen <laughs> your hands are free right yeah and you said you have like meetings with him appointments sessions sessions do you think you could have them with him here now we actually do we do have them here great that's weird right yeah it's weird i don't really have a choice we're both prob probably going to be dead soon. I say we go down swinging. But before we get to all of that, here we are, the fifth episode of The Patient called Pasticio. And I do find it very interesting, Sona, that we have these very playful titles for these episodes, which are grim and have absolutely not a shred of humor in them at all. <laughs> <laughs> But it's like, you know, Alan learns to, uh, you know, to meditate. And it's like, you know, uh, <laughs> Alan is chained to a floor. Because he's had to fully disassociate from the experience he's having right now. <laughs> exactly. And it's like pasticcio while you watch someone get strangled to death while he cowers in the corner. It's just, well, yeah, maybe a little, maybe a little bit off on these, uh, on the tone of the titles versus the episodes themselves. But this was a more complex episode. And I, I assume you noticed this, that every episode basically has become longer. You know, it started with only like 21 minutes or less, I think, for that first episode. 21 minutes, maybe with credits. So it was a very, very short episode. And now this one's over 30 minutes, 35 minutes, something like that. So they are getting longer, but not necessarily in a bad way, because I think actual stuff happens <laughs> over the course of the episode, which I guess is, uh, for me at least, uh, more interesting to watch. I agree. This was probably the most interesting episode they've had. I think you give me too much credit to say that I'm noticing the episodes getting longer, <laughs> though. I've just resigned myself to watching them, whatever they may be. So <laughs> I just hope that that doesn't keep that pattern going. Like, you know, I don't mind if the last episode gets into like the 40 minute range, but if, you know, we get into like the one hour <laughs> and 20 hours. minute range, I'm like, I don't know if I can handle that. <laughs> So we open pretty much where we left off last week. Sam is on the way to see his ex-wife, Mary. When he gets there, he mentions to her that he's in therapy, which I guess is kind of true. I was expecting her to be like, who is this freak show showing up at my steps? But she actually seems to be, she's not afraid of him, first of all. Mm -hmm. She seems happy to see him. And he seems relaxed around her. He smiles. I mean, this is, I think, the first time we've seen this actor smile at all. <laughs> And it does make me wonder, and maybe this is the first question I have for you, Sona, is, is this all an act? Like, is he just mirroring her, behaving the way he's supposed to based on this role? Or is he legitimately just kind of relaxed here in a way we have not seen him in these previous scenes? What do you think? It's a good question. I felt that we were supposed to believe he was being genuine and not part of his sociopathic or psychopathic personality where he's 
playing a role. You know, they establish that they really have this connection of knowing who the other is with the conversations about the concerts and stuff like that. So I read it as genuine. What did you think? I did too, but it, it is a little odd that, you know, somehow we have not seen any of this uh, persona personality from him previously. But I agree. I think it's supposed to represent that he is relaxed around her, that maybe they were in a successful relationship, even though he's a, a sociopath. We still don't know what led to their breakup, by the way, but uh, we do at least get a little hint of their dynamic. Yeah. And I mean, she seems not quite typical either, right? As we She's a little quirky. Yes, definitely yeah. quirky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Speaking of which, she has adopted- not necessarily a murderer, though. I <laughs> yes, think there's a big yes. distinction between yeah. So <laughs> yes, I, I don't th- didn't get any murder vibes from her. Yeah, <laughs> I think if they were in on this together, I mean not in on this together, but if they had been on this in this together, they probably would have had a discussion about it. like, hey, I got a new one in the basement right now. By the way, yeah, I mean you hear about that, right? The couple yeah. said. <laughs> I mean, Dexter had seasons based on that. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. So speaking of how quirky she is, you know, you mentioned she, they, maybe they met the, through their uh, shared passion for, who is it? Kenny Chesney? I forget this uh, artist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. By the way, I'm not a Chenny, a Kenny, I forgot his name. I'm not a Kenny Chesney fan, but uh, you know, the lyrics here, uh, you know, that from these songs, they all seem to be very, like, this is a very hippie-ish kumbaya for country music seems to be thematically, at least the songs he chooses to play. So, I mean, I have no familiarity with that genre. But I do understand that country music has changed a lot since when we were kids. I think it appeals to a much broader audience now than it used to. So I'm not sure which came first there. True. Wasn't bad. I think there are still some jingoistic <laughs> uh, country music out there, too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But then there's also Hootie, right? So. That's right. That's right. Hootie's out there <laughs> fighting the good fight. I mean, yeah. Like, listen, I don't think I'm the targeted demographic, let's be honest. But, <laughs> right. you know. And I don't know if you know that, uh, you know, hugely successful, the current uh, Morgan Wallen, who I think had the be- number one album last year and is going to have the number one album this year, the same album, which has been the guy that used the N word. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Famous for that. But what I was going to say, it's interesting about his music is that there's definitely a hip hop influence to his music, which is, um, you know, kind of just okay. shows there's a different. Uh, it, and it's not as bad as it's, it's not as bad as that sounds, by the way, not as bad as it sounds. <laughs> It's not like little Nas X with the, <laughs> all the time, just like that same, you know, uh, Old Town Road over and over again. <laughs> Speaking of her quirkiness, you know, she is a fan of this music, but more quirky is that she has these adoptive children from Bangladesh, one of these programs. This reminds me of About Schmidt. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but <laughs> he similarly has adopted a long time ago children yeah. from uh, overseas. And he, she writes letters to these uh, children. Apparently, one she adopted back when they were together, and now she has a second daughter as well and not strange to do that but strange no. to refer to them as if yes exactly. they are children living in her house correct she's acting yeah. yes when you first hear her talk about it you assume this is like someone who's there and then you don't right. realize that it's just one of these or sponsor a child from another country but acting like she's the mother you know although her, mm-hmm. you know communication is purely like these letters who, who may not even be written by these children by the way i suspect they are not but yeah <laughs> <laughs> form letters and lastly, I think it's kind of important later, uh, Sam takes his lazy boy. He's complained earlier episodes that his chair is missing because of this breakup. And he does get the lazy boy into the van or the back of his truck, I should say. It's going uh, to end up in that basement later in the episode. What was with not putting the gate of that tow truck down, the <laughs> yes. truck flatbed down yes. immediately? I don't know the terminology. Yes. I, drive, I have a sedan, okay? And I haven't driven <laughs> in a year, 
probably, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, why, yeah. why make this harder than it needs to be? Yes. Just put I, that down. And I thought the exact same thing. Yeah. I'm like, why is the tailgate not down first? Why is that? Yes. <laughs> just, think, you know, just think of one step ahead. It's yes, not even yes. five steps ahead. <laughs> I don't know what we were supposed to take from that. <laughs> he is a planner normally, right? So as someone with very little upper body strength, you know, <laughs> I just had questions about the decision. He is relying on her having, you know, be able to press, <laughs> yes, press exactly. that over her head, basically. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Elias and Alan are down in the basement talking. Elias basically kind of lays it on the line and says, look, we're probably not going to survive this one of us or the other or neither. And he kind of comes up with this plan like that. Maybe they can attack together. They could do like a group attack. And also, sadly, mentions uh, last week, he had mentioned if Alan should survive and Elias should die, tell his parents his final words, which basically were that he loved him. He loved them, I should say. And uh, and which was very touching because he basically couldn't come up with anything else. And that was very moving to Alan. Alan is much more verbose. <laughs> but about halfway through this, he goes, you're not going to remember all this stuff. Just, just remember, just tell them as much as you can. And then... Uh, Elias basically asks Alan to keep talking because he's so lonely, obviously chained up mm. in that room. And Alan starts telling a story about how uh, we unfortunately don't finish the story because I'm very curious, but this kind of falling out when Ezra went to school and then met mm -hmm. this uh, Orthodox, Orthodox. This Orthodox yeah, mm -hmm. uh, rabbi. And then like, little by little joined the group and then met his wife that way as well. And that led, led to this rift between him and Beth. And this is interrupted when Sam returns. First of all, brings his chair in mentions to Alan that, you know, he did indeed go visit his wife. It went well, but it probably didn't have the effect on him that Alan was hoping. Well, I mean, do you think he was hoping it would have an effect or do you think he was trying to just buy some time to maybe diffuse the situation? Oh, yeah. Alan, I think, was just trying to buy some time for sure. Yeah, because it wasn't really like, go talk to your wife about this because right. it's going to make you understand X, Y, Z. It was more just like, Maybe your mindset will change, right? If you see her and exactly. you won't be so interested in murder. And, and just buying time, like you said, just literally another yeah. delay tactic. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I'm just saying that Sam, he says, I don't think that it had the effect you were hoping for. Yeah. <laughs> Sam has invented that, you know, motivation inside his own mind. Right. Because even the ex-wife is like, so what are we supposed yeah. to talk about? <laughs> Why are you here? <laughs> you know, he, he can't take it anymore. He's going to have to do something right now. He goes to go and grab Elias. And this is when Alan calls out to Candace. And I thought this was very interesting. The dynamic that plays out here was really fascinating to me, actually, legitimately, where Candace comes downstairs and then she starts like clapping her hands and yelling at him, like literally turns into the mom she was probably when he was younger and mm -hmm. yells at her. And first of all, tries to appeal to him you know, based on the current circumstance saying, you're supposed to be protecting me. But when that doesn't work, she starts to clap her hands and scold him and say, go to your room, go to your room right mm -hmm. now. And uh, which I found fascinating because that actually does get him to it works respond. Yeah. And I thought that's the first time I kind of saw an interesting psychological dynamic here in this show where you see them reverting to these previous roles. So it's very, mm -hmm. you know, so that was kind of a, a, a surprise for me, actually, honestly, I, I thought that worked really well. Things cool down. Uh, Alan remembers Beth and Ezra when they were performing together. It's a very sweet memory of them when uh, Ezra mm -hmm. was much younger. Meanwhile, Super Sam is. Cute. Yeah, very cute. Sam is in his room listening to more Kenny Chesney. Tries to do some online chat with some other fans. They're asking, mm -hmm. you know, hey, did you go to this concert? When, are you go when am I going to see you again? So, you know, maybe a little reaching out for some kind of connection. He tries some pornography. <laughs> Nothing seems to work. <laughs> 
<laughs> nope, still want to murder someone. <laughs> still want to kill someone. <laughs> Pornography's not doing the, the, the trick. <laughs> he goes back uh, for a midnight session with Alan. And then I thought this was another really interesting thing. So my antenna's already peaked with this dynamic he has with his mom. And then a couple of things happen in this scene that we see him back in that chair. So here's this chair that he's been you know, basically mentioning he didn't have because of the breakup. He brings it into the house. He suddenly is in this chair looking down like in this dismissive position looking at Alan. And I think right away, this is his father's chair, or at least this is his father's posture. Previously, mm. right? So once again, this dynamic playing out, this familial dy dynamic. And then driving that uh, point even home even more so is the fact that Alan basically calls it out and says that you were not to blame for what happened to you. These people mm -hmm. are not to blame for what happened to them. Your dad was abusive to you because you just happened to say the wrong thing at the wrong time, but it was all on him and trying to say, and this is all on you, right? Trying to put mm -hmm. that back on him, which is probably good in a therapy session, but it doesn't probably have the result. He does try to bring Elias in on this session, which is what they had planned before. And all of a sudden this show in a, mostly bad ways, it kind of subverts my expectations. I actually suddenly thought, okay, now I understand the direction of this show. It's going to be about how does he get Elias into that room? How do they have this therapy session and simultaneously figure out communicating subtly how to have this group attack on Sam? But that's not what happens. Nope. <laughs> First of all, Elias takes a very long time to get around to the Pasticio story, which he should have led with right away. <laughs> Because he does love that pasticcio. You have to remind him this is the guy who had made that pasticcio. And Sam jumps on him, strangles him to death. Sure does. <laughs> Candace is up in her room just listening. Does not take action here. Yes. Alan is cowering, which I thought was interesting as well, because now you suddenly see another dynamic here. Probably when Sam's father was abusive, he was cowering, potentially. And now you have Alan kind of the father figure in this scenario suddenly in the, being the cowering figure in, in this kind of tableau. It's, that's all interesting to me that the dynamics playing out between these characters is, is interesting. I'm not that in love with the idea that they killed Elias because it kind of limits the directions the story can go with. Mm -hmm. And the last thing we see, I think maybe the very last thing we see is Sam storms out of the room and that he goes and looks at that box full of all these other wallets. And I wonder right. is reflecting on this is he thinking were these people just random were these people innocent like is he feeling bad about what he's done or is he savoring this like you know this is another trophy to add to his trophy collection i don't know i can't get a read on that last scene what, what did you think um i definitely saw it as more reflective i don't think he was savoring it i think maybe he's struggling with it struggling with the whole situation yes in the moment it was satisfying but then what right so maybe he's seeing the like limitations of this. Yeah, I agree with you. I read it as well in the performance even and credit to this actor for giving us a little bit more here. And, and once again, you know, I, I don't blame this on the actors all the time. The, the directors and the, are, are selecting the, the, you know, the performance that they mm -hmm. put in. the. But we are seeing more here. And I do feel, at least reading him, that he is conflicted by, by this rather than maybe this was not enjoyable, uh, satisfying in the way it had been before. And right. That is, you know, what we're seeing there. Maybe we will see how that plays out from this point on. A couple of observations here. One was I, I did find this very interesting, like a play, which this thing very much feels like, although it's going to be a very long play by the end of it, 
where, you know, everything is kind of like a metaphor on the stage. And I thought that was interesting of seeing, like thinking about these characters playing out these familial dynamics. And obviously this is about the relationship between fathers and sons and mothers and daughters, et cetera. So that definitely is what they're trying to drive home here. I'm still not sure the purpose of this show yet, to be totally honest, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I did find that interesting because it made me think about like, oh, I see what they're doing. At least I could understand momentarily what they were trying to play at there. Mm -hmm. These kind of like toxic family relationships and how uh, the consequences of them. Of course, we touched on this already, you know, even going back to the very first episode that Sam has this idea that when someone ignores him or dismisses him in some way, they're not just busy and distracted. This is always an affront to him. So he's taking this personally all the time. But I found it very interesting, like we mentioned before, that there seems to be none of that dynamic with Mary. I think if he was like that with Mary, imagine he had married her and then he, she had found this part of his personality that every single time prepares dinner late, it's some kind of affront to him. I would assume <laughs> that her showing that him showing up at the house, she would be like terrified of seeing him. Right. Just right. like... Or specifically unannounced, right? If she thinks this guy's like actually dangerous, but she seems so casual, like, oh, hi, I'm glad this you came by, right? Like, so I agree with that. Yeah. It's interesting that she, he doesn't seem to have this dynamic at all, not even hint at it with her, which, which is interesting. And the last thing is my sister was texting while she was watching this yesterday. And she goes, if you're going to have someone chained in your basement, you have got to get curtains on that back door. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, it goes to the idea of like, this is a rural setting, I guess, yes. but strange yes <laughs> but you know what like i was just thinking like i never ask for amazon to deliver to my back door but every once in a while like that's like, the fault setting on you know the vendor right mm -hmm, i just mm -hmm. find a box i'm like it wasn't this delivered yesterday oh it's at the back <laughs> door right <laughs> so it's just like uh if there's just some random amazon guy coming to the back of the house and maybe that'll be the the, the big plot twist he's going to come and knock on the glass and be like hey hi <laughs> <laughs> and then alan's going to be like oh my god please <laughs> That'd be quite a twist. It would. <laughs> and the last thing my sister mentioned was, uh, where are these people pooping? <laughs> I don't see any logistics there. Where's the bucket or whatever? Yeah, I feel like it was explained that he had some way to go in the first. I think episode, they mentioned a maybe. bucket thing. Yeah. Um, I I have not reflected on it since. So. <laughs> I I guess Elias doesn't have that option, <laughs> but I guess he doesn't really care. <laughs> Fair Elias point about himself. Elias. Yeah. Elias is going to get murdered. I guess he really doesn't care what happens uh, to him. So. Grim. Yeah, grim indeed. So I thought this was better. I thought this gave the show a little bit of a direction. I still don't know what that is, to be honest, but I did feel like this was definitely the best of this set of episodes. Do you? Okay. How are you feeling at this point with the show in general? I did feel it was a marked improvement from what we have been seeing just in like the amount that happened the way the characters were um, interacting with each other, it did feel like at least we are progressing towards something that might be very interesting. It might not be, but it might be. <laughs> it might be, exactly. I have hope. I do have hope. Yeah. I mean, it definitely <laughs> felt like a turning point for the series, so for the season. So hopefully it's turning in a good direction and not and, doubling back. Yeah. And we're in the middle of the season, right? I felt the same exact way that you were just saying that I was like, is this a new direction for the second half? Or is this like, you know, the peak of the show? And then we're right. going to just be sitting exactly. down there while Alan and him go back and forth. And, you know, I, I have a feeling that this is accelerating and has some direction now. I just don't know what that shape of that is, but that's, I, I have more hope, like I said, than before. All right. Anybody who wants to check out our review of 
do Revenge, which I did think was entertaining, but pretty slight. So I think that's going to be a pretty quick review. We'll put that at the end of the episode if you haven't seen that yet. We'll probably just discuss it in spoiler detail. It's available on Netflix. Anyone can check that out. So do check it out. I did recommend it. It's fun. And that's about my review. <laughs> but I do want to talk to Sona about a few things in there <laughs> that are mostly spoilers. So I'll bring it up at the end. But before we get there, I wanted to talk about this very famous case, Adnan Syed, who when he was 17 years old, was accused of murdering his ex-girlfriend, Hyman Lee. You might be asking, what on earth happened? I've spent the last few days trying to understand it myself. Wherefore this motion to vacate that burst like a firework out of the prosecutor's office, the very same office that asked the jury in 1999 to, quote, come back with a guilty finding for first-degree premeditated murder by the defendant, Adnan Syed. The prosecutors today are not saying Adnan is innocent. They stopped short of exonerating him. Instead, they're saying that back in 1999, we didn't investigate this case thoroughly enough. We relied on evidence we shouldn't have, and we broke the rules when we prosecuted. This wasn't an honest conviction. According to the prosecutor's office, they didn't set out to pick apart Adnan's case, their own case, mind you. They say it just kind of crumbled once they took a hard look. I know. And of course, this uh, case became incredibly famous. It was from the This American Life production company. One of their producers covered the story in great detail, turned it into a series. And if uh, This American Life was probably the most popular podcast at the time, had become a radio show that had become maybe one of the first real breakout podcast successes, Serial took it to a whole other level, like tens of millions of people listened to this, and it really popularized podcasting to a large extent. But that's not why I want to bring it up with Sona. I, what I want to bring it up is something extremely troubling about the history of this exoneration, not exoneration, but this uh, vacator, vacate, vacator of this case. Mm -hmm. And by the way, most of what I'm about to say is not my own analysis. This is uh, something that was discussed on The Gist, uh, another podcast uh, hosted by Mike Pesca. But it did make me want to run this by you, Sona. So the first thing is, this is an incredibly famous case. Obviously, it's hard to imagine a case that has more attention than this one. And even with all this publicity and even with all this evidence that has been gone over multiple times, this thing was never even revisited by the Supreme Court. So it couldn't even all this attention, all this popular culture attention could not get this thing renewed or reviewed, I should say. Meanwhile, a bill totally unrelated to this case, a bill gets pays, um, gets sent to the Mar uh, Maryland State House, where basically what it is, is that if somebody gets a, um, convicted of a crime while they're still a minor, that if it's a very long sentence, they should review the case, which seems pretty rational. The governor, who's a Republican, but not one of these like death cult Republicans <laughs> that we've gotten accustomed to in the past few years, just a regular run of the mill, you know, moderate Republican. He actually vetoes the bill after it gets passed because he says, look, if these sentences are so long, this is probably a serious case. And therefore, they probably were pretty well investigated. He decides to veto the bill. However, the Democrats plus one Republican make a supermajority in the state house and they overturn the veto. So this is the amount of gymnastics required to even get this bill passed. Okay. And now what is this bill again? Just tell me one more time. So the bill basically, I don't remember that, you know, the language of it, but what it yeah. is, is that if you are a minor who has mm -hmm. been convicted of a crime with a very long sentence, that basically by default, there will be a review of the investigation, the prosecutor's investigation, right? Just given the fact that the consequences of this are so huge, right? Like a life sentence, for example, or a death sentence, let's say. Does that make sense? I understand the words you're saying. I mean, it just seems like a strange 
idea, but okay. <laughs> yes. So that, but that's basically what ends up happening. So this case ends up getting reviewed purely because he was convicted at 17. That's purely the reason. So in gotcha. other words, it's not because of the no notoriety of this case or anything else. It's purely because it falls into this loophole that's been created by this law. Gotcha. Now, even there's been an HBO documentary, there's an existing podcast with his friends. You know, one of his friends became a lawyer and she has worked hard to get him exonerated and it has not worked. Uh, but this, there's another very popular podcast, even after Serial, that has been in investigating this case for years now at this point. Even with all of that, that is not what gets this thing into review. It's just this law. And then when it gets reviewed, there is all this new evidence. There's cell phone rec evidence. Uh, there's DNA evidence, et cetera. All this new evidence that does not get looked at. This case gets thrown out because the prosecutor says, looking at the original evidence, they mm -hmm. had no case. Based mm -hmm. on the original evidence, there was no case. So they had to vacate this. And then a couple of things before I get to my question, which is, it turns out, this is also released when they made this announcement, that there are two new suspects based on new DNA technology, they said, basically, mm -hmm, which I'm assuming is this familial DNA because they already had the DNA, but they had no match for it for years, obviously. But now, like when you see the Golden State Killer being found via familial DNA on these 23andMe or Ancestry.com, I would assume that they found the match via these other websites and things. And that's probably where they have correlated back to this uh, suspect. Second thing is Sarah Koenig was on Daily yesterday, the New York Times podcast, and mentioned that they knew of this other suspect even when they did the podcast, but they never mm -hmm. mentioned it because they didn't have evidence. So they didn't want mm -hmm. to just pass rumors around. So they never mm -hmm. stated it. However, they know who this person is. It has not been mm -hmm. made public yet, but there will be a case against at least one of these two suspects coming up. And that is all to say that even though this is not an exoneration, they basically are saying there is almost 0% chance that they will ever try to make another case against Adnan Syed, especially if they're trying to make a case against other suspects, right? So that's mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay. So that's very long-winded, you know, catching you up on what's happened. Hopefully that was useful for you. But the question I had is that this was very troubling to me because I think about the fact that here is something that is so unbelievably public that has been hashed out multiple times in public that there's all this contradictory evidence. And it takes this Herculean feat of passing this law. And then there's just a coincidence that this guy was 17 when he was convicted. My point is there could be a 30 year old that had this exact same thing happen to them. And no one's going to look at his case because it doesn't fall into this little sliver of the bucket. And I'm right. like, that is very troubling <laughs> that that this, you know, and maybe that just speaks to the problems with our judicial system in general. But I figure you have an opinion on, on all the things I just said. <laughs> so I, figured, I wanted to get your take. I mean, listen, my opinion is that there are an alarming amount of people who have been wrongfully convicted. And I think the vast majority of Americans has a faith in the criminal justice system that unfortunately is not warranted, partly because police can be very corrupt, intentionally corrupt, and engage in cover-ups, but partly because Sometimes things just are not investigated properly for a variety of reasons. Um, and people feel pressure, especially with high profile cases, to close the case. So every time that I have dealt with a case that deals with a wrongful conviction, I find myself alarmed at <laughs> how easily this can happen to somebody and how many other people there must be that do not have the resources or the wherewithal 
to pursue, you know, you have to be really dogged in your pursuit of legal assistance to try and exonerate yourself. I mean, it becomes all consuming, I think, for these people. And there are a lot of different things at play because sometimes these people who are wrongfully convicted are not perfect people, right? And so I think sometimes the prosecutors, the police, the attitude is like, well, even if they didn't do this, they definitely did something like this that they haven't been convicted for. Right. So one way or the other, I'm getting a bad guy off the streets. And that is a net good in the end, right? I think that's what some people tell themselves. And then there are the people also who truly are in the wrong place at the wrong time and have never done a thing wrong in their lives and, you know, find themselves suddenly because of some unfortunate coincidence of circumstances, you're convicted for something that they never did and have never done anything even like that. So the people that are subject to this, it's an entire range of the types of people who can find themselves wrongfully convicted. But in any case, It is terrifying. And it also often happens to people who are not, um, you know, who have lower IQs, who have developmental disabilities, who don't, you know, fully grasp the gravity of what's happening to them. So, and you know, listen, I'm, I'm as liberal as, as they come almost, you know, maybe I'm like one degree before as as liberal as they come. Um, So, you know, I have a very definite perspective here, but there are so many problems with the system with police investigations, with prosecutors' offices, and then with the correctional system. Listen, it's not a rehabilitation program, okay? Right. It's it's largely a for-profit system. Every step of the way, things are stacked against you, especially if you don't have the resources to really have a front against what people are trying to do. It is terrifying how many people are probably wrongfully convicted and never luck into or have the resources for truly fighting that. These people that are wrongfully convicted, this isn't something that gets straightened out in a year or two. You know, these people generally are in prison for 10 years, 20 years. Adnan is 40 years years old. Adnan is 40 years old. This happened. He was convicted before September 11th. This is 23 years ago that he's been in jail. So, yeah. So, I mean, they come out into a completely different world than they left. They have lost, you know, what many would consider the prime years of their lives, right? Um, And then, you know, on top of all of this that they have endured, that's a huge adjustment to make, right? Like everything you've been through in prison, the horrible things that can happen to you in prison. um, Like, where do you go from there, Right. right? When you go in as a kid and come out as an adult, it's just a terrible situation all around. Yeah. And a couple of things I thought about as well with this. First of all, not to say that everybody who's in jail is innocent. Of course, they all tell you that. Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> but it's of like course. most of these people, yeah. most of these cases are slam dunks. And what I am really fascinated by, you know, I don't really like podcasting is so much around true crime. I'm not really a fan of true crime so much of this. I mean, there's a new Jeffrey Dahmer miniseries on Netflix from the guy who did American Horror Stories. And I hear that it is like, you know, glamorizing. It's like basically turning him into a boogeyman, which I think is disgusting. These are real people who died. I find that really repulsive. And that unfortunately is oftentimes the brand of true crime. But I do find stories like Serial and some of these other cases to be really interesting because they shine a light on what's happening in the culture 
And you see things, for example, in this regard, I think that narrative in general is so powerful. People want a story. So I know people who were listening to Serial in real time, and we would have conversations about it. And they were coming up with these crazy outlandish theories of how mm -hmm. Adnan could have still done it because they thought that the in the end, he's going to confess or something because they were watching it as if they're watching a TV series or something. And I'm like, I don't think that's the point of the show. <laughs> that's not what they're mm -hmm. trying to convince you of. And I think that that is problematic because people want to have this closure, even if it's not there. And I think that the investigators fall into this too. I don't think they're just being malicious in railroading these people. I think that you see somebody, you've seen this story before, like the angry ex-boyfriend, angry husband, whatever it happens to be. You want to make that case and then you look only for that evidence and then there's glaring evidence that takes you in a completely different direction but you have limited manpower you have limited resources and what you do is look i have to check off these 10 boxes to make my case i have nine of them filled in and i can kind of squint and get the 10th check box and that's good enough right and if the prosecutors look at that they don't look at all these other theories they look at what's presented to them and they got a job to do and i feel like that's the scariest part about it is like once you get into this machine Everybody assumes that the previous link in the chain was good and it just keeps going and going and going. And then, like you said, undoing it is impossible. Once you get into like the fourth, fifth, sixth level of this thing, it's like, how do you ever unwind that? all? Too many people have made their careers on your <laughs> guilt. And if it turns out to be false, no one's going to turn around and be like, you know what? I've been wrong for 20 years. It's easier to just believe this guy was guilty for 20 years. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's very, very scary when you think about anybody gets caught up in this machinery. It is a machine, right? Like you said, it's yeah, it's very scary. Definitely affects certain demographics more than others. And, you know, there are reasons for that. I do understand what you're saying that, yes, sometimes it's it's not a result of corruption, but also sometimes it is. Oh, absolutely. So, <laughs> there's just so many different systemic factors at play that make it all very, very complicated. But um, and yes, certainly everyone who is in prison is not innocent, but... It is kind of alarming how easily this can happen to somebody. I have a recommendation for folks out there who want another interesting investigation of a similar type of case. So there's an HBO documentary, which just wrapped up maybe a month or two ago, and it's called Mind Over Murder. Really fascinating because of the following. This is the story of an older woman who was brutalized, raped uh, multiple times in her home and murdered. There were six of these, like you mentioned, kind of really fits, fits the profile you described. They had been in town for a long time. They were a little odd. Some of them were mentally slow and kind of like the usual suspects, more or less. And what ended up happening was they started questioning these six people who had no association to each other at all. They started to use some investigational tactics that are kind of questionable. They got them to like name one another. They then started to have psychologists come in and have them hypnotized to see if they can get a confession from them. And they got all six of these people to confess to murdering this woman. And they went to jail for decades, literally. And what happened was that there was DNA evidence, which did not match any of their DNA, by the way. Years later, they did a DNA screening and they still took almost a decade after this to exonerate these people, by the way. And what happened was that the very first guy they picked up, the very first guy they picked up was like a biker who was in and out of the town all the time. This is in the Midwest. Turned out it was his DNA. So he had murdered and raped this woman. He ended up dying in jail years later. He was already in jail. And these six people remained in jail, even though they were exonerated at some point. And to this day, people say, look, they confessed to this. If they didn't do it, why would they confess to it? And the craziest thing about it in this documentary is that out of these six people, two or three of them are said, you know, I always knew 
I didn't do this, but two or three of them to this day say, Hey, I have a memory of it. I was there. You know, I don't remember him being there. I guess he was because that's what the evidence says, but I did this and I was there. It's just so crazy that they have been like brainwashed <laughs> themselves mm-hmm, by mm-hmm. this circumstance. It is incredibly disturbing to see this. It, it just scares me because it's not only about you getting caught up in a machine. It's just like when everyone around you, and I guess we've proved this out in psychological studies as well. If everyone around you starts telling you that you did this thing, you just start saying you did it. <laughs> and it's really troubling to think that that's how easily influenced we are. I mean, I don't think everyone would be, but yes, yes like yes, there are certain everyone. psychological factors that can lead people to be more likely to provide a false confession than they otherwise would be. So, um, you know, depending on what type of experiences you've had in your life and just the nature of the type of person you are, it's often something that would um, be the subject of expert testimony at a trial that, you know, there are experts that talk about the type of people that are more likely to provide a false confession. And they also discover over time that so much of this, quote unquote, these experts, you know, fingerprint evidence has been question for a very long time. Bite mark evidence apparently is completely made up. <laughs> like it's very, very disturbing when you see these uh, analyses of, uh, you know, su- supposedly these like expert testimonials uh, uh, on evidence. And most of this evidence is totally unreliable. So very problematic. I spent 17 years meticulously curating the perfect life. I had the perfect friends, the perfect boyfriend. Maybe you could send me something to keep me company. But you know where all of that got me? Absolutely destroyed. Max ruined my life. He'll never get away with this. Hey, do you want a ride? I know what it's like to get fucked over by someone you thought you could trust. Carissa Jones, she started a nasty rumor about me. She told everyone that I tried to hold her down and kiss her. Turned me into this predator. She destroyed me. I wish we could hire people to take them down. We should team up and do each other's revenge. Don't you want to make her pay? I don't want to make her pay. I want to burn her to the ground. Whoa. You're giving off some serious Glenn Close and fatal attraction energy. Glenn energy. All right. On a much, much lighter note. Much lighter. (laughs) We did watch Do Revenge. And I had selected this because I was looking for, you know, obviously we have a relatively short conversation about the patient, especially in earlier episodes where we're like, this happened and then that happened. (laughs) End of (laughs) recap. So I was looking for additional things for us to watch, mostly thriller related, since this is ostensibly a thriller, (laughs) questionable if it is or not. And I thought Do Revenge was going to be a killer because I had it described as strangers on a train because they switch their murders. In this case, they're switching their revenge and Heather's. I'm thinking, okay, look, a comedic thriller and a straight up thriller. There must be thriller elements to this show. And I'd say that there is maybe like five minutes of this uh, movie (laughs) where it is a thriller. And that's about it. (laughs) The rest of it, it's basically mean girls. (laughs) And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I would say it's, it's more than just mean girls. It's like mean girls meets cruel intentions meets Mm -hmm. Heather's meets scream meets like, and there's a lot. um, I felt like there were a lot of influences here of past movies. And I did appreciate that about it. If you do want to get comedies that are thrillers, this is worst to best, I would say, mostly in the slasher vein, I just realized as I saw this list that I put together, first of all, is Joseph Kahn's movie Detention, which is about a bunch of kids who are caught in detention and there's a serial killer trying to to kill them. This movie is totally frenetic. It is very funny. 
I think it's produced by Josh, Josh Hutcherson, who is one of the cast members as well. And uh, it could be kind of grating. It's so over the top, but I found it to be very funny. I mean, at one point there's like time travel in there and everything. It's like everything is being thrown into this thing. They are fully aware that they're inside of a movie over the course of the film. And uh, not perfect, like I said, and maybe not everybody's tempo, but it was fun. And it's available for free on Tubi, if that sounds interesting to you. Next movie also features Josh Hutcherson, by the way, and it's called Tragedy Girls. And this one is better. <laughs> Another comedy. <laughs> These two girls basically know that there's a serial killer around and they want to use serial killer to get their social media profiles higher up. So they want to get a lot more attention on their social media. And if they could be potential victims or they can be murder adjacent or, hey, even if they have to maybe stage some of these murders, they've got to do what they got to do to <laughs> <laughs> to make, you know, to get those likes on their <laughs> social media um, posts. And uh, this one's funny and entertaining as well. And it's available on Freevee, which is the new Amazon free um, tier, also available on Tubi, also available on AMC Plus, also available on Hoopla if you have a library card. So all available there. Next one, a little bit better, another thriller comedy. I thought you were going to say another Josh Hutcherson movie. And I <laughs> no, thought like, no. that's a I person I haven't so. thought of I, in a long time. I don't think suddenly... he's in there. I don't think okay. <laughs> this one you may have seen, by the way. This one's called Freaky. You haven't seen this one? I have not. So this is on HBO Max. And this is from the same director. Um, it's actually Michael Landon from uh, Highway to Heaven, his, his son, who's made, uh, he made a uh, happy birthday and happy birthday to me or whatever that was. It's kind of where someone was in a time loop. A college student was in a time loop with a serial killer. Every time she died, it like reboots her life and she's trying to fix her life. And uh, this is his follow-up to that very successful film. It's called Freaky and it is basically Freaky Friday the 13th. So <laughs> there is a Freaky Friday, Friday the 13th. It's just called Freaky. And it is about a girl who gets murdered by a, or gets stabbed, I should say, not murdered, a killer, a serial killer. The serial killer is played by Vince Vaughn. Accidentally, he's stolen this knife from like a museum or something. It has some kind of voodoo power or something. Long story short, they switch bodies. So now the serial killer is inside the girl's body and she's hanging out in school, <laughs> being a straight up sociopath, as you would expect. And meanwhile, Vince Vaughn gives a very entertaining performance. He's this like large, imposing guy acting like this teenage girl. And he's very, very funny. In this. But actually, it turns out where am I? I didn't get killed. Oh my God, why do I sound like that? I woke up in the killer's body. The Blissfield Butcher strikes again. Don't freak out. You're black, I'm gay, we are so dead! Ow! Will you stop, it's me, it's Millie! Hill, Hill, Blissfield, I feel our glory and our might. Oh my God! And not only is that psycho wearing my body, He's killing it. He's like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Who knows how many of our friends he's going to kill? Are you sure this is safe? No. Oh my God, it's a slaughterhouse. That sounds very funny. <laughs> yes, and he's obviously trying to prevent these murders from happening. But of course, he is also the killer that everyone's right. looking for. So he can't really, he has to kind of do this as, you know, subversively as possible, which of course is very hard when you're, look like Vince Vaughn and you're like six foot five or whatever he is. <laughs> so it, it is, a, it is very entertaining. And I do recommend that one. That's probably the best of this batch. And that is on HBO max. So check that out. And uh, in the vein, probably the best of all of these films, not teen related, but if you've never seen Tucker and Dale versus evil, 
that's available on Canopy and Hoopla for free, once again, with a library card. And uh, it is another slasher comedy. And it is so subversive. It is so entertaining. It is about these two guys who are these hicks. Everybody thinks they're serial killers, but they're not. They're actually trying to help everybody out. And it leads to all these grisly deaths. And it's just like a complete subversion of this type of film where they would be the bad redneck killers. It is hilarious. It's so good. It's like really a classic in this genre of films. Not teen related though, but I wanted to throw it in there because it's just so funny. So check that out before Halloween. And all those things are available for free. I mean, except for Freaky. But if you have HBO Max, you can watch that one as well. All right. With all those recommendations out of the way, let's talk about Do Revenge with Maya Hawke and... Camila Mendez. Camila Mendez, correct. So tell me what you thought about this. I My, my very, very brief review here, I thought this was totally fine. <laughs> I, you thought I it was what? It's totally fine. <laughs> I, I thought I it times. was super fun. I liked that um, I did think... It was an homage to many other movies mm-hmm. that came before it. And I think that um, maybe the targeted demographic for this movie is not going to get all of that. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. But, you know, first of all, the soundtrack is super fun. Great. Yes. I did so many. Um, yep. And like it's so directly an homage to like Clueless that I yes. think the same mm-hmm. Mighty Mighty Tone song <laughs> yes. from Clueless was in this movie. But the music like really spanned over decades, I think, more current stuff and older stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really enjoyed that. I thought it was really clever. It obviously does not take itself too seriously. I liked the idea that um, in a different version of this movie, they would actually be murdering people. Mm-hmm. And at some yep. point, yep. someone raises the idea of like, are you saying we should kill him? And the other person <laughs> yeah. says, no, are you insane? Right. So, right. I like that they dismiss that as something that would not realistically ever happen. <laughs> right. The storyline, I, I did not actually figure out all the twists. Mm-hmm. I did kind of get the big twist um, yeah, yeah. ahead of time, but not not from the get-go, though. I yeah. kind of figured it out halfway through, I'd say. So, you know, it did keep me interested as far as what the plot developments were going to be. There were definitely some laugh-out-loud moments. The school uniforms are, like, absolutely horrifying, um, as an aside. <laughs> yes. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's supposed to be very tongue-in-cheek, but they are really, really ugly. Yeah, like I just I thought there was a lot to enjoy about this. It was just very, very fun. Um, and I thought, and speaking of an homage to other movies, the last moments of this movie actually, I don't know if purposefully or not, reminded me of Thelma and Louise a little bit. The last moments when they're driving? Mm-hmm. In the convertible down mm-hmm. the highway, holding hands. As long as they don't drive off a cliff. <laughs> well, yes, they're not gonna go off the cliff. Spoiler alert for uh, a fun part of a thirty year old movie. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> But another movie with a revenge plot in it too. Yeah, I thought this was really entertaining. I thought the girls did a great job. Uh, the, these two, I don't, I don't know Camila Mendez. We tried, me and uh, Kim tried to watch uh, Riverdale at one point. We could not get into it, so I didn't even remember this is the girl from there. Maya Hawk, I do know because she is like kind of like the Netflix queen right now. She's in Stranger Things, and she was also in that Fear Street uh, series last year where they had those series of three horror films that took place in different timelines. And uh, so she's kind of uh, become a staple for Netflix apparently now. And of course, she is, you know, recognizably the daughter of Uma Thurman and uh, Ethan Hawke. Very recognizably. (laughs) With all the music, by the way, that they use, they did not use any of her music. She's actually a performer as well. They did not use any of her music. I did not know that. I think I watched Cruel Intentions a very long time ago. Did not really remember that, although did understand, you know, since it's based on dangerous liaisons, there is definitely those vibes in there more so than like 
a murder comedy like Heather's, for example. You're absolutely right. My sister, by the way, had briefly recommended this on our last episode, and she made the Cruel Intentions Association rather than Heather's, which is, like I said, how I had heard it was uh, marketed. So maybe my expectations were a little different than what we got. I mean, Heather's is so much darker, right? Oh, my God. Yeah, so absolutely. So much darker. <laughs> so much darker. But nonetheless, like the inspiration for the idea of like the girlfriend dynamics and, right. you know. And the revenge on the popular, the crew of popular girls, right? That's very much in the, uh, that's also when we think about means, Mean Girls as well, because Mean Girls is kind mm-hmm. of a revenge on the popular girls without any blood. Or I guess a bloody nose, but that's yeah. This is like a middle ground between the (laughs) full-on murder, (laughs) right, right, right. And you know, while Scream is, I think, it is legitimately scary at times, right? Like Scream does have some jumps in it. Um, This, you know, is much more playful. But I think there, maybe purposeful or not, but there was a line delivery from the main male character. Uh, towards the end where he says I did not see that coming which is like (laughs) I think there is the exact same line delivery in Scream at a certain point speaking of which have you ever seen have you yet seen the new Scream I have not yet maybe for Halloween I will actually finally watch it you definitely have to catch it while you can I've canceled my Paramount Plus subscription though so you have to find another way to watch it (laughs) oh my gosh tragic uh, and there is Scream 6 on the way, by the way. So you should watch it before then. That's not coming till you know early next year, though. So you have time still. I agree with a lot of things you just said. I thought it was entertaining. I thought the girls did a really great job. I thought it was stylish. There's like a moment where they meet in the kitchen where I think it, I thought it was going to take more of a th- thriller twist. The, you know, the discovery that this revenge is kind of the target of the revenge is different than we originally thought was a lot of fun and really made me feel a little bit like it was going in maybe a slightly darker direction. It is not, which is all fine. Uh, <laughs> my sister actually said that. She goes, hey, this is something that you can watch like with your kids. Like this is like a date night movie. This is like a kid, you know, movie you can watch with your teenagers, not with your young kids, obviously. It's safe enough where you know, you're not going to be too uncomfortable watching it with your <laughs> teenagers. I think it's a very entertaining. I'm sure, I mean, it already is very popular. I'm sure it will continue to be very popular uh, with duff- different generations, right? You have the younger kids are just seeing this with fresh eyes. The older adults are remembering Clueless and Mean Girls and Heathers and you know all you know these generations of these teen revenge movies that we've seen in the past. So it's a lot of fun. It's got some nostalgia to it. Like you mentioned as well, they have all this musical references going back to like the 80s, the 90s. They play like How's It Gonna Be by Third Eye Blind, which mm-hmm. makes me think of uh, Dawson's Creek, right? So that's like almost 30 years old now. Mm-hmm. So all of these things are references to earlier films. That's about it. <laughs> Not very deep. That's a much. And deeper. that's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So if you're looking for something light and fun, it's mostly comic, but does have a clever twist. I did, I did not figure out the twist. Not fully, like you said, did not figure out that full twist until it was revealed. And I thought that was fun. You know, I was kind of, okay, I got this. I'm good. Like, you know, maybe the first hour was kind of getting to a point where I'm like, all right, I'm good with this. The twist comes and like kind of re-energizes the plot there towards the end. So yeah, it, it was, uh, it's fun. And it gives you, you know, it gives you exactly what you want. You, know, you get that exactly conclusion so it's... nice cameo by sarah michelle geller oh yes of... i forgot to bring that up but obviously yeah. that's a direct reference back to cruel intentions so mm-hmm. and the end credits are very cute as well yeah just a kind of like catching up with all the characters right mm-hmm. you don't watch euphoria but i did find that this guy the bully is like the nerdy guy on euphoria and he's the mean guy here on this oh interesting. that was kind of a funny casting there speaking of a high school themed show that you should never watch with your kids <laughs> Unless it be extremely uncomfortable watching, <laughs> extremely uncomfortable watching with your kids. Don't definitely don't watch. Watch those independently of each other for sure. <laughs> All right. 
So thank you for the conversation. Thank you. I will see what's coming out in the course of the next week and see what we can discuss next week beyond the patient, which of course will be riveting, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Fingers crossed we continue on this trajectory. Exactly. Hope so too. All right. Thanks a lot. Okay. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.